0: So today we're talking about racial residential segregation and the different ways that we see that impact the Black community. So we have a special guest with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: I'm (laughs) D'Angelo.
2: Before we hear from D'Angelo, we're going to open up our topic with a little bit of background information. Segregation continues to do America's past, present, and presumably future. So today we'll talk about the ways in which this is obvious not only in our communities here in San Francisco, but also in our personal lives as well as others. The demographic layout of San Francisco is pretty interesting. Taking a closer look, we can see the dominant groups are white and asian with 47 and 34 percent respectively eight percent other five percent black five percent multiracial and less than one percent identifying as both native american and native hawaiian or pacific islander taking an even closer look with some information from the san francisco neighborhood planning we can see that san francisco and much of the bay area is vastly segregated based on district, county, and metropolitan level. For example, we take a deeper look at the demographic makeup of neighborhoods in San Francisco like the Castro, Bernal Heights, or the Financial District, with household family incomes of over $100,000. These neighborhoods have less than 2% of Black residents. So now we're asking, why are demographics important? let's hear from someone with some first-hand experience I also wanted to ask you like a big thing we talk about with residential segregation is that it is based on race essentially um so I wanted to ask like do you think that the demographics in San Francisco are super divided by neighborhood like do you see more black people in certain neighborhoods than you do in other neighborhoods
1: um, yeah, yeah, there's basically most, all black people in San Francisco are in, like, certain areas uh, due to, like, the redlining from the 60s or whenever that was, like, yeah, 60s, 70s. Um, so basically, like, in the a lot of people came in the 40s for, like, the shipyard uh, and <laughs> uh, basically to get jobs, so they moved into the area. Um, a lot of the area was, like, army barracks for the war um, so they let them move into there and the ones who can't could buy houses they bought houses and a lot of the residents that were already there like flocked to other neighborhoods because they were like we can't be near them um, also too the um, same thing with like the ocean view area uh, they like moved everyone to like that area because they didn't want them in the Fillmore like after they demolished Fillmore they moved them there um, but yeah so we're like only in like three areas and then anywhere where there's like black people apartment complex yeah yeah yeah. Mm no yeah so then yeah
2: i was um (laughs) in my research there's like this um thing on like san francisco's neighborhood planning and there's literally only like less than two percent of black people in like Basically, every neighborhood in San Francisco, yeah. and then there's like what, like 22% of black people in Bayview, yeah, and like then like 98%
1: of the popular, well, not 90, it's probably like 80 something is in like in Bayview, yeah. There's <laughs> only
2: what, how many percentage of 5% of black people in San Francisco, yeah, yeah <laughs> reaching
1: there, yeah, uh, that's crazy. We're like going <laughs> slowly.
2: Um, have you seen like personally a decline in like the amount of black people that live yeah, in san yeah. francisco
1: well like yeah cause since i lived in like so, so i lived in baby the whole time so i've like basically seen like i've like watched people move away people that i knew and stuff like that and it wasn't like because they wanted to a lot of people were just like it's too expensive yeah. so they will go to like the far east bay where it's like cheaper and they
2: We talk about this term in psychology called social stratification, in which society essentially categorizes people in a hierarchy based on dominant group status, and this is crucial in terms of what we're talking about because it determines access to resources and rewards and essentially social status. So basically, those who are identified in minority groups are not given the same levels of, for example, education, jobs or even quality of health care as those in the dominant group are given. And this is what we'll be talking about today in terms of discrimination in the context of an opportunity gap.
1: And you're for like funding
2: You're talking about like funding, so like how do you think that directly affected like? Your school like lack of funding
1: uh for for lack of funding, I can say the it was like uh, <laughs> sorry uh, so like in elementary school we had uh we were like the teachers were getting like bigger classes of students because they couldn't afford to like pay more teachers um so like this the teacher would go from like fifteen kids to thirty, so the class size is like doubled, um especially for the higher grades like did and up um that was like a thing then middle school like seventh grade they started like there was a period where uh the school system didn't have like a lot of books um so we had to like share books for like half the year um and then also like teachers were getting like laid off that same year it was like
2: what? crazy that's crazy
1: um but like we got like some funds from like california like the state but then that didn't like
2: yeah do really a
1: lot mm-hmm. yeah yeah Like, they got us books, but, like, class sizes are still crazy, so teachers can't, like, focus a lot on students and stuff.
2: Specifically, we'll be talking about the black-white opportunity gap in San Francisco as a result of residential segregation, which I will more clearly define later, but first I want to talk about how an opportunity gap can manifest. In itself it's a form of marginalization and social stratification which i've talked about earlier in which minorities have been systematically and historically denied access to certain resources because of socio-political attitudes but wait that definition is pretty broad right let me give you some concrete examples whites and sf as well as many other communities in the united states have been given a better access to higher Education, so AP classes or college, graduate school, and adequate health care and services. So they are more likely to use preventative care compared to Black counterparts of the same socioeconomic status. So where does this come from? While well, it's rooted in a history of institutional racism, which is perpetuated through social and political institutions that directly affects African-Americans in areas of wealth, income, criminal justice, employment, you name it. So the issue at hand, what is residential segregation? And how is it affecting African-Americans? Um, but yeah, I was looking at a map and like, even like in the east bay too like the neighborhoods are so segregated there's only like a small percentage of black people yeah. and then like the rest are like white or asian and then in these neighborhoods like with the black people they don't have like you know grocery stores like you're saying there's only one grocery store in bayview yeah. so it's like it's not just a problem in san francisco um yeah it's pretty fucking crazy um.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there's no transition, is what I've noticed. It's like, one street will be, like, gentrified, and that's where you see, like, all these, like, yeah. hipster stores. And then you'll go a couple blocks, mm-hmm. and there's nothing oh. available for, like, right. the people living there. It's the
1: same. Like, in Bayview, there's, like, they they gentrified the industrial area, which is weird. Right. So, like, there's a lot of warehouses where they have, like, the breweries and stuff, and you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, like patronize those areas Mm. so there's like they built like coffee shops into like the warehouses on the side so you'll drive by and it's like glass and stuff then immediately all the like trailers the homeless people just there it's like not like one block away and then you'll go to like the main street and then there's like everyone hanging out but like you don't see like the the newer population hanging out like in the main areas they like create their own like sub areas where everyone else isn't you know (laughs)
0: Do you see that in San Francisco? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how do you, where would
0: you
1: say that you see those things? Uh, I would say, like, the Mission is one good example. Yeah. The whole Valencia Street is, like, R- bougie that's what I was talking about. And then the yes. actual Mission Street is still, like, you know. <laughs> it's literally,
2: yeah, <laughs> it's like, th- what? Like, two, two streets away? No, it's one. One? It's, like, night. one block. That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> and then, like, if you notice, the whole, everything east of Mission is still, like, not really gentrified and everything on the other side is. So they, like, yeah, pick yeah. a, like border It's the that. same
2: way in Fillmore, right? Yeah, like, yeah. upper Fillmore is, like, super fucking, like, classy, upbeat. And then yeah. you, like, go a few blocks down, and, like, you just see homeless people on the street. It's and then crazy. in Fillmore,
1: too, like, in the freaking 60s, where all the projects are down there, they, like, that was one of the areas where they demolished all the, like, low-income people's houses. Like, they actually own homes, and they were like, fuck you guys, we're not giving you loans to fix it, we're just gonna, uh, like, make you live in, like, the government houses and pay rent to us. But, like, they owned their houses before that, so now they're, like, stuck in a cycle where now they don't have the property, which is, like, worth money now. Like, imagine now in that area, that's, like, $3 million for (laughs) a house over there. Mm -hmm. So, like, imagine if they still have to own those houses, it would be, like, way up in value. But now they're, like, stuck in their situations, basically paying rent to the federal government through their apartment complexes.
2: So basically, residential segregation refers to the spatial separation of population groups along racial or ethnic lines. And I know this might be a hard concept to grasp, but given that we are talking about an opportunity gap in terms of socioeconomic status and health disparities, it's not enough that Blacks have been historically marginalized But even with the Fair Housing Act being implemented decades ago, African-American families in San Francisco are still disadvantaged with many studies proving that they live in more concentrated poverty with less access to well-paid jobs and higher education, as I mentioned earlier, compared to white families with the same levels of income and education. So how is this evidence of an opportunity gap? Well, typically under these circumstances, higher levels of education and income, these families would more likely have higher wealth levels and less exposure to concentrated poverty, but due to residential segregation in San Francisco, African-Americans are disadvantaged by not being given the same access to resources as whites of the same economic status are allowed. For example, in McLaren Park with the percentage of 22% of the population being black, and the household income not exceeding 16,000, there is only 2% of people that have a professional degree. So, now we're going to give some examples of how this racial segregation is shaping the personal lives of individuals and being used as an instrument of racial inequality.
0: I want to further discuss how residential segregation affects the performance of public schools. Funding for schools and the quality of education has everything to do with the value of the property in the residential area surrounding the school. Because funding for schools are determined by property taxes, areas with concentrated poverty have higher teacher turnover, fewer resources, and overall lower quality of education. But how does this translate to Black communities? Well, middle-class African-Americans earning $100,000 or more per year live in neighborhoods with the same disadvantages as the average white household earning less than $30,000 per year, which means that they are also sending their kids to higher poverty schools than low-income whites. Sure, there are options such as charter schools or finding loopholes in public policy, but statistics show that 75% of American students attend a neighborhood public school, meaning they go to schools nearest to their homes or those that they are assigned to. This means that school segregation is a direct reflection of neighborhood segregation. Why does this matter? Well, a lot of the social barriers we're talking about today account for the achievement gap we see among Black students. This means the differences in performance on tests, access to opportunities, and attainment of a high school diploma, college degree, or even employment. And so I want to give examples of predictors of low achievement that have everything to do with this conversation we're having on residential segregation. With less adequate housing, a student may change school frequently or may not have access to quiet spaces to study. Without the same access to after-school programs, summer activities, or extracurriculars, Students don't have the same opportunities in gaining organizational skills or background knowledge. With less literate parents, it makes it less likely for students to read frequently or gain exposure to complex language. With less utilization of preventative health care, this results in higher absences among students. I hope these examples emphasized how there is no way to have a conversation on the performance of students and public schools without discussing neighborhoods. When we come back, we'll be hearing from D'Angelo and his experiences growing up in Bayview and the lengths he had to go to to get a quality education. Okay, so I want to go more into schools and like how the performance of public schools affects uh or like is affected by where you live so I wanted to ask you would you say that like your schools growing up like k through 12 were racially diverse
1: uh yeah they were mostly racially diverse uh because we had like a lottery system that allowed us to like go to different neighborhoods Mm -hmm. uh basically sign up for a school in order from like Like say one through eight, and uh, basically you'll get picked for your first choice most likely, Um, but (laughs) but there were like times where there were like certain demographics that were like missing in the school systems. Like what?
2: (laughs) Like I know, like what demographics?
1: Like the richer, uh, the like the wealthier uh, population of the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're basically put into other schools where they can make sure their money is circulating through mm-hmm. uh, their same demographic um, right. and not divided through like the rest of the, uh, the public school population mm-hmm.
0: so um, and just to clarify these schools were they in Bayview the ones you were signing up in the lottery system for?
1: oh no I was signing up to go to school it was like further out <laughs> I went to like the furthest schools from the house um,
0: how long was your commute?
1: Um, for high school it was like an hour and a half wow. on the bus uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking for a quality education, that's an hour and a half away from where you live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And would you say that also um your schools were diverse when it comes to socioeconomic status?
1: Uh yeah, mostly. They like what was it called? It like represented the like San Francisco demographic mm. uh for the most part. <laughs> Besides the uh there are like not a lot of not a lot of white kids compared to like the regular San Francisco population
0: Mm -hmm. and so were like the people at the schools like more middle class to lower socioeconomic or was it like
1: yeah it was mostly like middle to low uh income students okay
0: and how would you say that that affected your um educational experience
1: i might say it affected it because uh since the middle and low-income uh, students, well, their parents wouldn't be able to contribute much to, like, the schools and stuff like that, so we wouldn't have that many resources in terms of, like, different uh, classes and programs that would help us, like, learn skills to get, like, better jobs out in the city, um mm-hmm. especially, like, in the tech climate out here um compared to, like, other cities in the Bay Area. Uh, but there's also, like, a difference in uh, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> you know, like, a difference in uh, the amount of money the schools are getting in San Francisco because, like, say the schools in Bayview, uh, most of the kids there are, like, all low income, so they, like that's, like, le- way less money than, like, say if you go into, like, Lowell over by Stonestown because that's, like, the highest, uh, what's it called? That school has, like, the highest grades in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people get their kids there and, like, put the money into that
0: yeah and so do you think it is important to diversify these schools
1: yeah if you like basically if they like will mix the schools enough to like have uh <laughs> a different uh basically uh they like equal put an equal amount of the different demographics and uh the schools will have like a better time
2: okay so i wanted to ask you um about access to resources and if you see a difference in your neighborhood and other neighborhoods um so like grocery stores do you have a grocery store in bayview
1: yeah we have one grocery store and then a bunch of corner stores (laughs) but they're not uh they don't always serve like the freshest fruits and veggies and stuff uh and then they also don't have like a lot of other options for like alternative diets and stuff and they're marketing our neighborhood like as a way a quick way to like silicon valley because we're right by the freeway and we don't have like traffic like we're not in the way of like the rest of the city traffic because we're like so segregated but like basically you have to cross the freeway on certain streets to like get to baby (laughs) there's like no like for five ways in, five ways out. <laughs> <laughs> so like we were like a quick way, like south, uh, to San Jose and stuff. Um, and even like if there's no traffic, we get to downtown like ten minutes. Yeah. So they're like <laughs> we're like a freeway neighborhood. You can get to where you need to go quick.
2: And like we talk about like, there's like research that shows that there's more like health disparities in these types of neighborhoods because they're next to the freeway. Do you like see any of that? Like, do you think a lot of kids have asthma or like? Etc.
1: Yeah. uh, It's not even just the freeways, too. Um, Basically, they left, like, the freaking whole shipyard, uh, like, basically the shipyards are radioactive land, and that's, like, majority, where the lowest-income people are living. It's like a hill there, and then there's, like, a bunch of flat ground, and all the projects are on the hill. Um, They didn't, basically, they told everyone it was cleaned up, and then found out they lied. They also pretended to clean it up again five years ago built, like, more condos on it, sold them, and then now people are, like, selling the city right now because they're living on the land (laughs) and not, like, just next to it. But, yeah, like, there's a lot of kids, and, like, the old people are on, like, the oxygen tubes, and that's all because they've been there
2: their whole whole lives. Wow.
0: And are those areas the same ones being gentrified?
1: Not yet. Not yet. It's, like, basically, like, uh, so the Hunters Point area is, like, full of apartment complexes that are, like, for low income like it's by you basically your rent is determined by your income Mm -hmm. um and that area basically once some developer decides they want to build up the land they're gonna come and like demolish that stuff
0: that'll be interesting to see though like once gentrification hits that area if they will actually start like cleaning up or taking into consideration like your breathing poison Mm -hmm. basically
1: well they already like sold the condos to like people who, like, the people who bought the condos aren't, like, low-income, and they're, like, they thought it was cleaned up because the city told them that, mm-hmm. and they figured out it's not, and they're, like, stuck in it. I'm not surprised. But, so <laughs> we'll see yeah. if he, they might, like, lie somewhere and tell us it's, like, clean. Yeah.
2: Well, thanks for coming to talk to us, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're
1: welcome.
2: It. Oh, yeah. All that was super helpful. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, on a closing note, do you think, like, personally, um, like what do you think could be done like like to solve these problems i don't know like you say that there's a lottery system so i feel like that's a step in like a good direction but like these neighborhoods are still super segregated like like you said one grocery store but then you go to hate and there's like four grocery stores on hate alone so it's like (laughs) really fucking crazy um yeah do you have any opinions or like do you think it's just like out of your hands
1: I would say the only way is for it's like a uh I guess it's like a win win situation because we kinda need like more uh more income to come into the area for them to open like more grocery stores. But at the same time when that does happen it's not gonna be for the people who were there.
2: Yeah, it's not gonna be like affordable for them. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well well what changes would you like to see? Like or what what do you think like let's
1: say our governments are responsible for it um i would say the city has to build like more affordable housing like in that area since that's where like everyone is um plus at least try to like fund like other grocery stores that aren't like a whole foods or something because like once we get more income that's like obviously what's gonna come <laughs> and then uh
0: Putting you yeah. back into the community because yeah. that also goes for like the schools too. Yeah, like, you shouldn't have to go an hour away just to get like an okay education. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's just
2: crazy to me how they're like gentrifying the fuck out of these areas, but can't build goddamn housing for the people that live there, right. or like can't build a fucking home- another homeless shelter in the city. <laughs> yeah. Like I just don't get it at all. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Well. It's- to the
2: do you think that you'll stay in san francisco like yeah. you're from here you see all of this stuff like
1: not in the current state <laughs> i'm like i don't know how long i'm gonna be here but i know like once i decide to like like once i'm like older and like want to buy a house and stuff it's definitely not gonna be out here yeah but yeah i, feel that. I always like heard that when i was little I was gonna like san francisco houses were expensive but like since then it's just
2: direct.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: we're not even talking about the same like yeah. tax bracket. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, thanks, Steve, yeah, Thank
0: you, guys. <laughs>